Well, good morning. I tell you, I am feeling perky today because I woke up and I walked outside and it was cool like it's supposed to be in Illinois. Amen. That's why I came here. I left the heat, come to the coldness. So I expect some cold from you people. And uh, I felt the coolness and it felt great and I felt perky and I was in a good mood in the first service. I didn't preach mean or anything. I preached happy and it's great to be with you. Uh, listen, a couple of things. That regroup thing on Wednesday nights, I'm only asking you for four Wednesdays in September here at the church at 6.30. Now, I know that some of you have jobs and you expect to make a living. You can't do that in September. No, I'm joking. <laughs> if you can't come, that's fine. Don't come. But all I'm asking from my heart, all right, a loving pastor's heart, make every effort to come on Wednesday night, all right, because those life groups are huge, big time, big, capital H, huge. So please make every effort to come. And uh, if you can't come, we will still love you, all right? And uh, it's very good. And I'm excited about our topic this morning. By the way, for those of you who are new, new around here, my name is Pastor Josh. I'm new too. I've been here for only three weeks. So join Sherry and I and just jump right in at Cross Point and make it your home. But uh, we are in Matthew chapter 6, all right? Matthew chapter 6. And I want to look at the Lord's Prayer and what Jesus had to say about prayer. That's our topic today is prayer. Now, when we talk about prayer, we have to start with the definition. What is prayer? And it's very important that we establish a a definition because so many different people are talking about so many different kinds of prayer today. So let's just define prayer. Prayer is a real conversation with God. All right? Prayer is a real conversation conversation with God. Now, whenever you start talking about prayer in a modern world, we begin to kind of tune off, tune out, and like go, whatever. And the reason why we kind of go, whatever, when we're talking about prayer is because we have been taught, now check this, we have been taught that God is no longer relevant to the real business of life. We have marginalized and put God over here. In fact, what we've been, my generation in particular, what we've been emphatically taught is that we no longer need spiritual answers to practical problems. Is that true or false? That's what our culture says. We don't need spiritual answers to practical problems. If you have a practical problem, there's a practical solution, right? That's what we get. A lot of our culture says, no, 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 look, 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 look. Your problem is not a lack of faith, it's a lack of competence. Like you need more skills, and if you get more skills, and if you get more self-help, then you will be okay. Our culture looks at us and says, look, look, look at all of the technology. Look at the smartphones and the internet and the, and the computer. We don't, we don't need, see, people who believed in prayer were a long time ago. That's very primitive. It's very unimportant. Look at all that we can do without prayer, Right? But a problem has occurred. And the problem that's occurred is that after all of this advance, after, after all of this technology, human beings have remained unchanged. We still have the same heart problems. Now, how many of y'all know I love Winston Churchill? Y'all know I love Winston Churchill, right? I have a German shepherd named Winston Churchill. I like 
Winston Churchill, right? And he gave a speech in 1949, and he talked about the progress and the advance of our modern society. And he talked about all of these accomplishments that human beings have been able to do. And here's what he said. He talks about how it still left us bankrupt. He said this, 1949. He said, quote, The whole prospect and outlook of mankind grew immeasurably larger And the multiplication of ideas also proceeded at an incredible rate. This vast expansion was unhappily not accompanied by any noticeable advance in the stature of man, either his mental faculties or his moral character. His brain got no better, but it buzzed more. Right? What he was saying is, we got all this new buzzing going on. It's all this, all this hoopla, you know, all this buzzing. But guess what? The fundamental problem of our heart has remained unchanged. And you want to know why? Because you and I were made to have a real conversation with God. And until we have a real conversation with God, we can accomplish everything and we'll still feel empty. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 says that God has put eternity into our heart. We have a God-shaped vacuum in our heart and nothing can fill it up until a conversation with God has happened. And the modern world can say we have no soul. And the modern world can say we have no spirit. And the modern world can say there's no demons or angels or God or heaven or hell. The modern world can do all that once. But the modern world is empty and bankrupt. We need a conversation with God. We need to pray. We need to have a relationship with God. Now, now, who are you going to go to? Who are you going to go to to learn how to pray? Who are you going to go to to have a conversation with God? You're going to go to Jesus, right? I just kind of, I went on a, you'll love this. I went on a hospital call the other day. I went to a hospital, right? And how many of y'all know at the hospital, there's like 10 elevators to choose from, Right? You've got to figure out which elevator to choose. There's A, B, C, and D. And I'm from Oklahoma, so I'm slow as it is. I'm new around here. I'm just getting to know the hospitals. So when I go to a hospital, I take a room number, and I go to the information desk, and I say, I need to go to room you know, 1250 or whatever. Where, you know, which elevator? So I asked this lady the other day, which elevator do I choose? She said, you see that picture of Jesus? And I said, yeah. She goes, go to him and take that elevator. I said, amen. I'm in. And and I'm not even lying. This elevator, I went to the top floor. Amen? You know what I'm saying? Now listen. If you want to go to the top floor in a conversation with God, if you want to go to the top floor in being filled with God and His life and His relationship, you got to go to Jesus and let Him take you up. Oh, that's television preaching right there. you got to go. He'll take you up. You know what I mean? All right. So what's he going to say? He's going to tell us how to pray. And he does that in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5. Now, before I start reading what Jesus said, please, please, please understand the context. Who is he talking to when he preaches here? This is the Sermon on the Mount. Who is he? Is he talking to the religious elite? Is Jesus talking to the seminary graduates? Is Jesus talking to the pastors? Is Jesus talking to the people who know their Bible, who are very religious people? Who's Jesus talking to in the Sermon on the Mount? You know who he's talking to? He's talking to poor Galilean farmers. 
You know who he's talking to? He's talking to fishermen. You know who he's talking to? He's talking to regular folk going through real life. Jesus is talking to real people. And when you hear his words, put it in that tone. He's just, in fact, right before this sermon, he healed a bunch of people, right? Paralytics, blind people, people with epilepsy. He heals them. And then it says a great crowd gathered around him. So he has to go up on this mountaintop and he has to talk to all these people, regular people. And he's teaching these people who know nothing about spirituality. He's teaching them how to pray to God. And so, he says, this is how you pray. In fact, he starts by telling us how to pray, how not to pray. That's his first step. Here's step number one. If you're taking notes, write this down. When you pray, don't pray religiously. Tells us how not to pray to God. Don't pray religiously. He said, I don't believe you. Well, just look at the words. Verse 5, here's what he says. He says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others truly I say to you they have received their reward but when you pray go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you now here's what he's saying he's saying Don't pray religiously. You say, how do you know he's saying that? Because that word hypocrite, all right, word hypocrite, we've all heard it before. Why do a lot of people not go to church? Because they're filled. In fact, I always ask people, why don't you go to church? It's filled with hypocrites, right? Well, what is a hypocrite? A hypocrite was a word used in Jesus' time to describe a stage actor. They would wear a mask and wear a costume, and they'd have a script, and they'd get up on stage, and they would play a part for the applause of people, right? Now, what Jesus was saying was he says there's hypocrites in a religious sense in the fact that they're praying, they're just playing a part. And, and they, go on the, they go on the corners and they go in the synagogue and they've got a costume, see? They've got religious clothes and, and they've got their script and they've got their, they got their, their, their sash and, and, and they stand there and they've got, they got the right words to say and they stand up in their synagogues and, and on the street corners and they're wearing this religious mask and this religious clothes and they're saying, Almighty God, Omnipotent, Omniscient God. And they're standing on the corner and the reason why they're praying to God is not to have a real conversation with God, but to get the applause of people. They want people to look at them and appoint at them and say, man, he is so religious. See, that's when people start whispering. He's religious. He's impressive. He's on the inside with God. He's on the inside with God. And Jesus, when he taught, anytime he used hypocrites, he was talking about the Pharisees of his day. He was talking about the religious leaders. He was talking about the religious elite. He was talking about the people who, who, who made it their business to make people so in awe of them that they could never imagine themselves praying to God because they don't have the right clothes and they don't have the right words and they don't have the script and they don't have the hat and they don't have the water. Jesus' number one enemies was not secular people. Jesus' number one enemy was religious people, true or false. 
Who killed Jesus on Friday night? The Pharisees, the religious leaders, the hypocrites. Why is Jesus so upset? I mean, what? I mean, I mean, seriously, what's wrong with nice clothes and what's wrong with looking religious and what's wrong with that? The problem is, is that they were, they looked good on the outside, but on the inside, they were corrupt. Hold your finger in Matthew chapter 6. Go over to Mark. Love this verse. I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm confrontational. I have no idea why I love this verse. I probably shouldn't. But Mark chapter 7, verses 6 and 7. You know why I love it? I love it because it gets to the essence of what God wants. I love this. Mark 7, verse 6. It says here in verse 6, And he said to them, that's Jesus, said to them, the the Pharisees, they're like, the Pharisees come up, they're always coming up to Jesus. The religious leaders, well, why do your disciples not wash their hands religiously before they drink? Well, why why don't they fast? Well, why don't they do this? And why don't they do that? And so Jesus is constantly, like, almost graciously, he's like answering their questions, dealing with them. Now he's just fed up. I mean, Jesus is just fed up. And right here, Mark chapter 7, verse 6. And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? At, I mean, right? I mean, this is Jesus, right? And he says, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, this people, here it is, honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Now, what Jesus is saying is that what God is looking for is not an impressive show. God's not looking for our outward religious works that are so impressive. God is wanting to have a relationship inside with our hearts. He's wanting to live his life in our hearts now. Go back to Matthew chapter 6. Here's what he's telling these people, these Galilean farmers and so forth. He's saying, look, when you pray, don't pray religiously. Now, why would Jesus say that to these poor people? Why would Jesus say this in Galilee? Why would Jesus say this to these people who know nothing about spirituality? And here's why. Because they were tempted to think that they could not be spiritual, that they could never pray if they weren't like that guy that's wearing the clothes. They were tempted to think that they needed somebody else to pray, But they could never have the audacity to pray. And Jesus is telling them, you can pray. In fact, he says in verse 6, go into your room. Everybody say your room. He doesn't say church. He doesn't say synagogue. He doesn't say temple. He doesn't say any special spiritual place. You, You go into your room. Now, the Greek word, I'm not trying to show off, but the Greek word for room there, it literally means supply room. It was a room that farmers used for their animal feed and their farmer equipment. And it was the only room that a poor Galilean farmer could lock. And he's literally like, man, if you got to, go to your supply room. Go to, your, go to the room where all your supplies are. And if your heart is lifted up to God, God will hear you. You will have a real relationship with God in the secret place. He's defining prayer. It's not a conversation between you and religion, but a conversation, a real conversation with you and God. That's all prayer is. It's you talking to God from your heart. No special clothes, no special words, just a conversation, see, in the secret. I love the story of the, 
the elderly couple, and they prayed together every single night. Like every night they would get down at, uh, at, you know, at, by their bed before they fall asleep, and they would say their prayers. they pray for their kids and grandkids and everything. And the wife was praying, and you could barely hear her because she was talking particularly quiet this night, and she was praying to God, almost whispering. And he said, Marge, I can't hear you. And she said, I'm not talking to you. <laughs> right? The day I start praying to God, just so you'll be impressed with me, is the day I'm walking in sin. The day my prayer life becomes some kind of show-off thing so that one day somebody might say, Pastor Josh was so spiritual. That's the day I'm sinning. Because I'm redefining prayer as a religious activity as opposed to a real conversation with God. Here's the second thing Jesus does. I love this part. Jesus said, don't pray religiously. And then he says, don't pray superstitiously. So he kind of, he goes all the way over to the other spectrum. And he goes to the secular world. And he goes to the Gentile world. He goes to what, uh, uh, what we would call the pagan world, the pagan religious world. And he, and he talks about their prayer, which is also false. Look at verse 7. He says, and when you pray... Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will... I love this. They think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. He's talking about... Here's the deal with the Gentiles. And it's still the deal with, with us Gentiles outside of a relationship. We're still like this. We are superstitious beings. How many of y'all don't know show of hands, but I take it a lot of y'all like sports, right? Now, I grew up in a household where sports was watched, right? Now, my dad, a great godly man, um, my dad was a huge, huge Dallas Cowboys fan, right? Massive. I apologize. Please forgive us. Now, he was superstitious, though. He, he actually believed. I think he really believed. I hope he's, Dad, if you're listening, I'm sorry. I honor you. Okay, he actually believed that if he wore the exact right shirt that the Dallas Cowboys would win the football game that day. Now, one time, my brothers and I decided to hide that special shirt. That was a bad idea. But anyways, (laughs) we're superstitious. And there's a prayer life that if I say the right words exactly, if I get the formula right, then, you know, the Cadillac's going to drop from the sky. You know what I mean? If I say the prayer right, if I get it just right and say it enough, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus, you know, then I'm going to get the Rolex. You know what I mean? If I say it just right, this is also true, like outside of Christian kind of superstitious prayer. This is true on the self-help book. If you get, get the words right, you know, confess it, believe it, you know, say it, positive, come on. You know what I mean? It's not that I'm against positive thinking. In fact, the only thing I'm really against is negative, te- negative thinking, right? But, but that idea that if I'm positive enough, it'll happen. And then, you know, and we get all superstitious and we say it over and over and over and over and over again. And you know what? It's not a conversation with God. It's just not. It, it, it turns God into a genie. It turns God into a genie. We once, well, a long time ago, before we were saved, we watched Aladdin, right? How many of y'all seen Aladdin, right? My girls. I love Aladdin, actually. 
I'm sorry, I asked for forgiveness. But anyways, I love Aladdin, and I love the genie in the bottle. And he comes out of the bottle, right? And he says, phenomenal cosmic power in itty-bitty living space. We treat God like a genie. We say, okay, okay, God, if I get the words right, will you give me what I need? Will you, let me, let me rub you right. Maybe you'll give me three wishes. You know what I mean? We try to take the lion of the tribe of Judah. We try to take the holy and righteous God. We try to take the sovereign king, creator of the universe, and we try to domesticate him so he's like a little itty bitty cat that we can pet. If we pet him just right, he'll purr and he'll really like me. You see, that's what we do to God. And Jesus is like, even though you're not supposed to be religious, don't go pagan on me either. Don't go superstitious on me either. Don't do all this flaunting stuff and take God for granted and who he is. Don't do that. And by the way, God knows what's going on. You don't have to give him an intelligence report on your life. You don't have to say, God, I know this is going to shock you, but things have really fallen apart. And God's going to go, what? Gabriel, what's happened? You know what I mean? Like, you're fired. You know, he starts firing angels and replacing people. Like, like God's in control. Like, he, he's not surprised. He knows the end from the beginning. He's working all things out for our good. Even though he calls us to go through trials, sometimes he walks with us in it, and he has a good end in mind. God is in control. God is the Father who's in control. Don't pray. Don't believe this superstitious stuff. And don't pray religiously. So how should we pray? Jesus, how should I pray? How can I have a real conversation with God? Pray relationally. Write that down. Pray relationally. And you see in verse 9, he goes into the Lord's Prayer. So famous is this prayer. it's It's almost too famous to where we can really appreciate it. No other prayer has ever has been spoken more in the world than this prayer. But notice what he says in prayer in verse 9. He says, pray then like this. Everybody say like this. So it's an example. It's a model. It's, it's not something that we're supposed to repeat over and over and over again. It's a model. It's kind of like I, I told you the other week when I teach my kids to ride their bike. I get on the little Barbie bike and I go, here's a model of how you pedal and balance. And then I get off and then they have to do it on their own. It's a model. This prayer is a model and it gives us principles for how to have a real conversation with God. So let's just read it, all right? Let's, let's just read it. It says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, please note the first two words of the Lord's Prayer. What's the first two words of the Lord's Prayer? Say it out loud. Our Father. All right, do you see the relationship? Do you see the relationship? He's saying, don't pray religiously. And don't pray superstitiously. Pray relationally. This is a relationship. And what is our relationship with God? Jesus has made our relationship with God one as a father and a son. uh, Father, son, and daughters. In fact, the Bible says that through Christ, we have been made sons and daughters of the living God. That means that even though he's the God of the universe, 
That means that even though he rules over all, he's in heaven, he is our father. You see that? My dad, when I was growing up, he was a white-collar lawyer. He was a partner of a firm, Curvine and Rhodes, downtown Oklahoma City, up in a big uh, uh, sky-rise type deal. And any time I called up at work, he instructed his secretaries to say, if my son calls, I don't care what I'm doing, you let him get through. If I'm in a conference, if I'm in a meeting, if I'm in something important, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. If any of my kids call me, I'm in. I'm going to take that phone call. And he always did. The God of the universe has now been made our father. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. I know what you're asking. You're saying, whoa. Now, wait on there, little man from Oklahoma. Because here's the deal. God is holy. God's up here and God is holy and righteous. He has everything I want. He has everything I need. He has all the resources that I was made for. God has everything I want. And yet here am I. And you know what I have in my heart? Everything he hates. Because you know what's in my heart? It's true. I'm a rebel. I'm independent. I'm sinful. I've gone against his law. I've gone against it. And the Bible says that God hates rebellion. God hates pride. God hates pride. It's the source and the mother of all the ills in our world. And so how is it that this God who's holy and righteous and me, he has everything I want and I have everything he hates. How is it that he can become my father? How can I have the audacity? And this is what religion says. Religion will come up to you and say, you go to any Muslim and you ask them, hey, hey, ask this question to any Muslim. Say, hey, is it possible for God to be your father? And they will flip out on you. How dare, they'll declare jihad, they will come after you. Why? Because see, God's holy. You can't get that intimate with God. So how is it possible that Jesus can tell us here, our Father, and here's how. Because when he died for our sins and he rose on the third day, he took away my sin. He put in me his righteousness so that God could accept me in the righteousness of Christ. And the Bible says that through the death of Jesus, I'm adopted into the family of God. You say, I don't believe you. All right, just grab your Bibles. Or if you don't have a Bible, just listen. But in Galatians, this New Testament teaching, I'm not making this up. Galatians chapter 4. And this is very important in understanding our relationship with God. And it's the basis of our conversation with God. Galatians 4, verses 3 and following. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive, there it is, adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. Did you get that? We're adopted. So when we're born, we're not born children of God. Do you understand that? We become children of God by virtue of our relationship and our faith in Christ. And he has purchased our adoption. Now, some of you, maybe you've adopted a child. You know that you have to pay a price and go through a pretty heavy process to adopt a child. And when you adopt that child, you give money 
You pay to have that child in your family. And that's what God did. We were not his children because we were born in sin. We were made in his image. We're loved by him. But we were not related to him because of our rebellion. But the New Testament teaches Jesus came. He dies. He purchases with his blood our adoption. And God now can consider us through Christ as his sons and daughters. So when Jesus says, pray like this. Our Father. Right there, he is communicating the gospel. He's saying, this is why I came. You want to know why Jesus came? So we could have a conversation with God. Bible calls him a high priest. Bible calls him our sacrifice. Bible calls him our substitute. Jesus took our place on the cross so that we could come to God and say, our Father in heaven. And that's important. Because we all doubt whether we should have a conversation with God. You know what we say? We say, we say things like this. I hear people say, like, like man, I just, I'm not worthy to talk to God. And religion will say, yep, you're not worthy. You're out. You know, that's what re- religion will say and remind you that you're not worthy of God. Religion will come and say to you, you can't have a conversation with God. You need somebody else to do it because you are not worthy. And you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, You're not worthy, but I am, and I have earned the right for you to talk to God. I died. And every time we don't talk to God because we don't feel worthy, what we're saying is, Jesus, your death wasn't enough. Jesus, you couldn't purchase it. That's the gospel. I can talk to God. There's times before I preach when I suddenly realize I'm going like, to talk about the Bible and God. I'm not worthy to do that. I am not perfect. I'm not perfectly pure. No preacher is. How can I get up and talk boldly for God? Here is the truth. I have to rehearse and remember, Jesus took my place so that I could be adopted as his kid and I could come and have a real conversation with God. Amen? So it's a relationship. All right. Once we know it's a relationship, how do we live this out? How do we live this out? Well, there's three ways, all right? Pray relationally. Here's how you do it. You're like, how do I do that? Number one, write this down if you have notes. Pray for praise. Pray for praise. Our Father in heaven, what's it say? Hallowed be your name. Now, when I was a kid and I heard those words, I was like, is this talking about Halloween? I mean, what are we talking about here? What, what in the world does hallowed mean? And hallowed means, literally, it means holy or set apart. It's a word for holiness. In other words, uh, make your name, and it's a request. He's not coming to God in prayer and saying, God, you are holy. God, you are, I glorify you, God. What he's saying is, God, set yourself apart in my heart. Who you really are in holiness, in purity, in beauty. That's holy. Holy is purity. It's beauty. Holy. Like when you see a car that you love, like the Mustang drives by and it's sleek and it's black and it's gorgeous and it's like, yes, it's a GT. You go and you go, that is awesome. You're saying it's holy. You're saying it's set apart in your heart because it's pure to you. It's holy to you. It's set apart. Uh, What other holy things do you love? You say, the bears. You know what I mean? Holy. It's set apart in your heart. Amen? You tracking with me? That's holiness, hallowedness. Um, My children, my children are holy to me. They're set apart in my heart because they're beautiful to me. They're my kids. And, and, And what he's saying is when we come to God to pray, 
We are to pray. Here's how you pray. You say, God, today, help me to see that you're awesome. Help me to see that you're set apart. Make my heart feel the impact it should feel when it's you. Help me to love you more than the Mustang, you know, because you're God. That's a stupid car. You're God. God, hallowed be your name in my heart, in, in, in my world. Hallow your name. Show people how awesome you are. You're hidden from our world. Reveal yourself in all your glory. Help us to love you for just who you are. Make your name, your character, your, your nature. Make it good to me. Make it good to me. You know, I don't know. I mean... Maybe I'm being a little too honest here, too vulnerable. I don't know. But you know what? The truth of the matter is is sometimes I struggle with loving God just for being God. Sometimes I'm more concerned with what he can bring me in his hand than what he is in his face. Right? And what great relationships do you have that are not based upon just beauty? I mean, I love my children. I love my children. But it's pretty obvious that my children cannot pay the bills, right? So why do I... In fact, my children, they increase bills. How can I love my kids? Because they're my kids, right? I love my wife because she's beautiful, see? I, I, I love the music I listen to. I was listening to country music the other day. I told you all about that song, you know, that country song. I love that country song. God is great, beer is good, and people are crazy. I love that song. Why? Because it's beautiful to me. It's set apart. Can that song give me a better month? No. Can it pay my bills? No. Can it make me more popular with people? No. Can it earn my respect with you? No. But I love it just because it's beautiful. Think about nature. Can nature do anything to us? I mean, it'll drop an apple for us out of a tree every now and then. But we love nature. We love scenery. We love trees. We love waterfalls because we were created to love things not for how we can use them, but how we can have a relationship. Dude, we are praying for praise when we ask God, God, help me just to love you. If I can love my kids just because I'm... Their dad, surely I can love you, God, because now you're my father. Help me to consider you holy. And when that happens, when you start feeling the impact, he starts answering that prayer. What begins to happen is we want his kingdom to come. We want his will to be done. We want his agenda, not our own agenda. We stop trying to form and fashion him in our image, and we want to be made in his image. We want him to be king, ruler. We want him to, that whole end of the world stuff with the new heavens and the new earth and Jesus coming back. We want that. We want to live with this God. We want to be with this God. We want to, we want to feel Him and worship Him and, and sing to Him and talk to Him. Hallowed be your name. See, we're asking Him for praise. Ask for praise in relationship. The next thing comes very naturally. Uh, pray for provision. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, note... Note, he's not saying, pray, give us this day our cake. Give us this day our icing. 
Give us this day great and many blessings. He's just saying, what's he saying? We give us this day our daily bread. He's saying we come to God and pray and say, God, just give me what I need for today. Just, just give me, I'm not going to worry about tomorrow. Give me what I need for today. Which, by the way, becomes really, really natural thing to pray when we start getting filled with the presence and the beauty of God. Because it's an amazing thing. When I start sensing how awesome and beautiful God is, my prayer request starts getting leaner and leaner and leaner because I don't need as much. I don't need you to be my functional savior. I don't need my wife to perform perfectly. I don't need my kids to be perfect kids every day. I'm not, I'm not as angry. I'm not as compulsive. I'm not as, I'm not, I'm not as tight grip on life. When I start sensing how great God is, how great his kingdom is, how great his will is, you know, I got a loose grip on life and my prayer requests get shorter and shorter. You know, God, at the end of the day, all I really need today is a little bit of bread. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 and 9. We don't have time to go there, but read it today. It just talks about when you pray, just pray to God. Give me today what I need today. Give me the food that's needful for today. So pray for praise. Pray for provision. And here's the final thing. Pray for protection. Of course, forgiveness is part of the uh, uh, provision. We need forgiveness Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then here's protection. And lead us not into temptation. Everybody say temptation. But deliver us from evil. Everybody say evil. Literally in the Greek, it's evil one. So lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Who's the evil one? Obviously, it's Satan, our accuser who's at work, going against God's kingdom, going against his will, going against the gospel and believing in Christ, going against everything. And you know what we're saying? We're not coming to God and saying, just let me at him, Lord. I'll walk all over the devil. This prayer is saying, I am dependent upon you, God. I'm surrendering to you because if you don't fight my spiritual battles for me, I will lose. I read today on tw- or this week on Twitter, how many of y'all are using Twitter? Wow. It's actually been very beneficial to me as a preacher. It gives me lots of good quotes. But one of the quotes is that prayer is a declaration from independence. Because we're admitting to God, if you're not God in my life, if you don't take care of me, I'm done. God, I surrender. That's prayer. God, I surrender. You know, your, your prayers don't have to be long. They don't have to be fan. They can be in your own words. But if you're asking God, God, help me to love you just for who you are today and, and give me just what I need today. Here's a few things that are on my mind. You know, I need to get through the test. I need to get through the day. I need to get through the interview. I need the job. But I'm going to a sales job. I hope to make a sale today because I really need that commission. But, you know, God, just can't. You know what? At the end of the day, just give me what I need. You know better, God. Than me what I need. And then finally, God, there are spiritual forces at work that I have no idea. I'm emotionally freaking out, and there's no reason for me to emotionally be freaking out. Therefore, I must be going through spiritual warfare. Help me. Deliver me. Be with me. How is this relationship possible? Through Jesus. Don't pray religiously. Don't pray superstitiously. Pray relationally. Pray for praise. Pray for provision. Pray for protection. And you know, I tell you, you know, when you're not used to praying, it's really hard to do it first, right? It, it's because you got to get used to talk. 
How many of y'all are good at small talk, talking to strangers? Like you're at a wedding, you're at a table, you don't know anybody around there. How many of y'all are really good at that? I envy you. Because I'm a pastor, and I'll be sitting around at a table after doing a wedding, like at the rehearsal, and I'll be talking to people, and it's really uncomfortable. Because you've got to do small talk. Like, yeah, I like the Dallas Cowboys. Do you like the Bears? Okay. You know, and you're like small talking your way through this thing. But as you get to know somebody and you start having more conversation, it gets easier to have a relational conversation. You know, when I saw Sherry, I saw Sherry. I met Sherry at church. I saw her. I was like, I'm marrying that girl. Right? And when I finally, three years later, worked up the, <laughs> the guts to ask her out, we go out on our first date. Now, she's, she's slightly more mature than I am. They say that she robbed the cradle, but really the cradle robbed her. But anyways, but we went on our first date, went to a fancy Italian food restaurant, right? And I'm as nervous as can be. I mean, like, I thought I was cool, not cool. And so we're at this fancy Italian food restaurant. They place us in this trendy bar area. Like, there's a bar. There's really trendy tables, really cool. They sit us in the bar area. Well, I was 20. I was not of age, Right? So they sit us down, and the waitress comes around, right? Fancy, first date, we're barely talking. I mean, it is small talk, big time. Like, I like country, do you like rock and roll, you know? (laughs) The waitress comes around and says, are you 21? And I went, she is. (laughs) He said, I'm sorry, sir, I'm going to have to move you to another area. And I'm like, what, the children's area? I mean, what are we talking? So we get up. We move over. It's awkward enough as it is. We sit down. I am so far from cool, it's not even, you know what I mean? I sit down, and Sherry breaks the ice because she's brilliant, and she says, you want a beer? (laughs) Right? You talk about awkward because any good relationship, is when you start trying to do it, right, it's awkward. But as we moved on, I became cooler and cooler. By the fourth date, I was the man. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and that's how it is with God. It's a relationship. It's real words. It's a real conversation. It's not easy at first. How do you do it? You need to write it down. Say it out loud. Share it in community. Become a part of a life group. Get together with regular people, eating buffalo wings or whatever we eat in our life groups, talking about the sermon, and then share prayer. Start hearing other people pray regular prayers. And you just got to go out on the first date with God. You got to get to know Him. You got to talk to God. Jesus gives us that right to talk to Him. Don't do it religiously. Don't do it superstitiously. Do it relationally. Amen? Now, we're going to take communion, and this is a perfect day to take communion because what we're doing with this meal is we are saying, look, what gives me the right, what gives me the right to talk to God is not anything I've done. It's everything that Jesus has done. And so as we take communion, here's what I want to ask you to do. If you're a believer, it doesn't matter you don't have to be a member of this church. If, you're a belie- if you say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, I believe he gives me the right to be with God by his death, then you are welcome to take and eat with us and drink with us. If you're investigating Christianity, if you're not a believer, you're just checking it out and you're getting information and you're praying about it, then I would just ask that you just let the elements pass by
and remember, let Jesus preach to you. Receive the message. If you're not a believer and you're ready to become a believer today, you're ready to say to Jesus in prayer, I'm ready, Lord. I want you. You are my right to God. You are the way to God. You are, you are it for me. If you say that prayer in your heart, whether silently, out loud, you cry it out right here, right now, it doesn't matter, then I, I welcome you to take, eat, and drink your first communion as a believer in Jesus Christ. For the rest of us, we need to examine our hearts. We need to remember it's not our religion that saves us. It's our relationship to Jesus. It's our belief in what he's done in our place. So let's pray and examine our hearts right now. And the ushers can go ahead and come forward as I'm praying. If you're not a believer, just say something like this in your heart. Lord Jesus, I... And more sinful than I ever thought, but I'm more loved than I ever dared hope. The cross of Christ is my hope. You, Lord Jesus, are my hope. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Give me a relationship with God. If you're a believer, confess your sins. Say, forgive me, Lord, for my sins. I've been angry. I've been anxious. I've been fearful. I've not believed that you're in control. I've I've had greed. I've wanted things that are not my own. Forgive me, Lord. God, bless this time. Bless our church and bless us as a people made in your image. In Jesus' name, amen.